Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, welcome back to another episode of The Network. I am your host, Mike Drysdale, and joining me today, she is a member of Australia's national women's hockey team, the Hockey Roos. Uh, she won the player of the tournament at the under-18 national tournament as a 16-year-old and also was accepted into the WA Institute of Sports program for hockey uh, and was in that program for six years until recently being elevated into the national side uh, where she has played around 20 caps for Australia, which is huge. She's also finished her bachelor's degree in human biology at the University of Western Australia. Her name is Georgia Wilson. She's fantastic. She also got a big presence on Instagram, which she uses to do a whole bunch of stuff that we'll talk about in the next hour. Georgia, I feel like I've let you down. Why is that? I was supposed to be feeding you cake as the first thing that we did today, but I, oh. I've i been building this up for a week. I told you this before we started, but I, I have been building this up going, I'm going to get cake and you're going to try it and we're going to do a whole stunt to, I didn't have time, I failed, I'm sorry. You may be an elite performer. Clearly, I dropped the ball on this one. I apologize. But welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very excited to be here. <laughs> it's going to be fun. And I'm really, really excited to, to talk to you and kind of discuss everything. But I mean, I guess the easiest way to, to get into it is I think you've got a pretty amazing story about how you got to be on the, the squad of Australia's national hockey team. And so I thought the best place would be for you to just give us a little bit of a rundown on that. Um, what it was like, uh, what your journey was from basically starting getting an interest in hockey to being here playing in the, the Australia's national team, the, the pinnacle of the sport, so to speak. Yeah, I suppose that I had, a, I guess, an unconventional um, progression to the national team and I definitely um, have had to overcome a, a number of obstacles to to get where I am and, and definitely where I, I want to eventually be. But I started playing hockey when I was four years old up in the hills in Mundaring. Wow. So I am from um, WA. There's only two athletes currently in the um, Australian squad from Western Australia. And since the AIS is based in Perth, that means that fortunately I didn't have to move mm. interstate like a lot of my other teammates. And I got to stay with my friends and my family and also in my, my hometown as well, which was amazing. And I made my first state team when I was around 12 years old and then slowly was, um, I guess, elevated into more senior state teams, sometimes made reserve or train on, as they call it. And, and then I didn't make my first junior national uh, tour until I was around or 20, which is, which is quite old. I had missed selections for a, a number of years. Um, and... Really, I, I went away and then was selected um, for a tournament called Junior World Cup, which mm -hmm. was supposed to be my first major international competition. And I was set to travel to Chile in South America. And three weeks before the tournament was set to begin, I unfortunately tore my hamstring. So I was just at training. There was mm. no, I guess, lead up or any specific cause that we could put it down to. But I... I ended up doing a 15 centimetre grade two plus hamstring tear and, and that was my first major that injury. sounds like it hurts. Yeah, it did. <laughs> I cried for a while <laughs> and then undertook a three month rehab and from there, um, there were four Hockey Roo scholarships uh, that were eligible for 2017 and I was one of 22 girls who travelled to Canberra to compete for one of those four spots and I was able to secure 
one and, and really that was the start of my um, international playing career where I debuted late last year over in Holland against the world number one. Which is amazing. But just before we go on, I think one of the interesting things is is that you thought the chance was over for now, right? Because after you'd missed out on Junior Worlds, wasn't there a point at which you thought all the scholarships were gone, like that was it? Yeah, so I was actually about to, to board a flight back from um, Bali. I went over to Bali on a sort of um, little retreat by myself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very close. And I, I found out via social media that uh, I think 20, yeah, 23 scholarships had been given out for the 2007 teen year and and really that for me was devastating because I thought my efforts from 2016 may have been enough to to get one of those spots but Mm. um I I hadn't I suppose done everything and then eventually I found out so there was there was quite a period of time where I thought I would have to wait until until 2018 Mm. before getting the opportunity to elevate into the national program that's cool. And then this last minute kind of tryout for the four remaining scholarships happens in Canberra. You go to that, you beat the other 22 uh, sort of hopefuls and you've named one of the four scholarships kind of that last second chance and then you're in and now you've played 20 games. Yes, around, around 17, much. 18, yeah. I think. Um, not counting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, look, I, I think that something that's on show right from the beginning there is that you've got a ton of resilience. You've had a a lot of setbacks. You're facing one right at at the moment. You're in the middle of rehab from an ACL. And what that brings up for me is obviously not everyone has what it takes to be a professional athlete. And short of everyone being told that they're not good enough, I think actually far more often, it's actually like an opt-out process for sport is that people actually just go, you know what? this isn't for me, I'm not going to be able to stomach the hard work or I'm not going to train hard enough to be able to get to the point rather than uh, somebody saying, like, you're not good enough, go. Most of the time people are going, I'm not good enough, I won't. And so I was wondering what kind of characteristic do you think you have that's most important in your ability to just keep going and then keep rising out of, like, discipline or or desire competitiveness a sense of purpose what is it for you that actually keeps you in it I would definitely say that I am extremely driven to not only become the best athlete possible but also the best person that I can become and and for me that largely comes down to what I do on a daily basis and having the commitment and discipline to put in a lot of extra hours and at the moment with my knee injury I'm currently 10 months through what will hopefully only be a 12 month rehab but for me I've learned to work hard this year and and I have to train most days twice a day and just being able to work up the energy and I, I suppose courage to get back out there and know that I'm not getting the immediate rewards but eventually in the long term i I really hope that um, they pay dividends. Are those two things linked for you, the idea of being the best athlete you can be and being the best person you can be? Yes, and what I find is that often when I'm developing and working on other characteristics of my life outside of sport, my sport benefits from Mm. it, whether it be my relationships with my um, family or friends, the way I communicate, getting that life balance right, pursuing an education and a and a career outside of sport particularly, um, 
just really provides a confidence knowing that if things don't go to plan, as I haven't this year <laughs> with mm. my knee, that I'm worth more than, than just a, a hockey roo or um, as a hockey player that I so often defined myself in the past. Yeah, that's really important. I think that sense of identity, right? Um, that exactly. You, that your identity exists outside of just the sport. But I also like what you say there that getting better in those things also feeds back in and makes you a better hockey player. Um, my example is more sport orientated, but um, I played AFL growing up and I played for Western Australia when I was 15 in the state school boys, played with some awesome players who are, are in the AFL now. Michael Walters for plays for Frio, Nick, Nick Winmar, who, Nicky Winmar, who played for uh, St Kilda, now plays for uh, Claremont and a couple of others, Kane Lucas. But um, I always found that whenever I would go and spend a decent amount of time playing something like gridiron or playing something like basketball just for fun, the tactics and the strategies I would learn from playing those other sports, I would um, directly see an impact on the way that I thought about football. Um, just like running back and taking grabs was so much more ex- instinctual after I'd been playing receiver in NFL for a little while. Um, those things like that. Do you ever get, I mean, obviously you, you're talking about communication skills with family and friends and things like that, feeding back into being a better athlete as well. Have you found any other sports that have you've taken learnings from other sports and implemented them into hockey? Yeah, we had a, a, a few sessions last year where we went and observed other sports as a squad. And um, there was, I think it was North Melbourne that um, mm-hmm. when they were training at the old stadium we went down and and watched and particularly um, the communication we found was being driven by the players versus um, the coach and and we tried to I guess collaborate that into our own training environment and some of the girls went down to the water polo um, uh, water polo game which was the Australian team playing as well internationally Um, and there was also the the basketball uh, that they went down and and watched as well and just seeing how the use of body can um can achieve results in trying to manipulate a defender and and attack Mm. into the space but i enjoy watching uh football as um as well as afl and and just for football or soccer um, we find that the position and the structure is quite similar in terms of their outletting and also um, the way they press and, and attack. And it is um, a bit of a slower sport in terms of a, the score line, but mm-hmm. definitely just being patient um, when we are sort of trying to get it out of defence as well, we, we try and learn from. Right. Okay. So like being a little bit more methodic sometimes. Yeah. And then if you have to go back, go back. Yeah, and just looking at different angles and, and passing lines and also passing corridors, all of those minute details. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and so much of it is a game about details. Obviously, in the team at the moment, you're wor- working with the likes of Jane Claxton and Steph Kershaw and, uh, you know, a heap of other top-end athletes as well. Is there something that you've identified that separates them as, as the best of the best? Is there something, is there like a gap between an extremely good professional athlete and then someone who's able to elevate themselves even above that to the next level? There definitely is. And what I've noticed is that a lot of the senior players who I um, look up to, particularly, they exert themselves on a daily basis Mm -hmm. and are consistently applying themselves 
to really improve and, and that's the main difference is that they um, analyse the game and particularly Jane Claxton, she is the vice-captain of the Hockey Roos and someone that I aspire uh, to become as a player but also off-field as a person. I admire a lot of her qualities and um, she just possesses such a, a vast amount of knowledge for the game and, and she's achieved that by watching um, a large amount of hockey and and initially um, when I first got into the, the national team I, I would only watch myself when I was mm-hmm. um, sort of analysing games and, and that's something that I've learnt from the senior players is that we don't just look at ourselves, we look at the team and then we look at our oppositions particularly um, and we sort of, I guess try and and focus on who their strengths are but also any skills that we can add to our own repertoires um, as well but I think is something that's great about hockey is that um, a lot of players can can bring their own style and their own flair Um, so Stephanie Kershaw has incredible um, top end speed so I look at her and and really um, and see how she applies that with her change of direction in the game and also um, how she uses that to her advantage to to really um, break lines and, and attack going forward. But just being able to um, note and, and really, I guess, take into account all of my teammates' strength and s- strengths and then see how I can sort of take a little bit from each player to then um, be able to improve my own game is something that I'm working on. Which I think is something else that elite athletes really do is they take a, a bit of a smorgasbord from everybody and then kind of redirect it into their own game. I, lo- I love your answers there. One of the things that I'm interested in, obviously, is we've talked about this before, is, is watching film um, and the multi- multi-benefits that that has because you talk about it there uh, as something that Jane obviously does a lot of. If you're sitting in a a film room with her what's something that she might bring up that maybe you do now you see it as well but getting started you're like oh my god I didn't even see that definitely off ball um, positioning Mm -hmm. as well as movement on our outletting so for um, people listening who don't know what outletting is it's when our um, defense is trying to get the ball to our attack and and really how we position ourselves to to move the ball from our defensive um, back half into our attacking front half. And um, prior to working with Jane, I would just often look at when I had the ball. But what I began to notice was that um, the influence that I could have without the ball um, could actually have a huge impact on, on what the team was working towards. Yeah, a massive one. I mean, that's something that's so interesting, right? And I think that's applicable in lots of different times in life is that we think that the most important thing that we're doing is whoever's in the position to score the home run, whoever's in the position to uh, do the active thing, whereas like all of the, you know, say you're doing a television interview for whatever reason and uh, or you're you're a TV reporter, we're all looking at the reporter. But actually, there's so much more that goes into it, right? There's the cameraman, there's the, all of the things that are happening off screen that make whatever happens on screen work. And that happens in a business sense as well. It's like, you know, what's what's your accountant doing? What's your bookkeeper doing? Uh, it doesn't matter if you're the best in the world at what you do, if the people off the ball aren't contributing in the way that they should. And then the other thing that I, I, I come up with that is, I find really interesting is Kobe Bryant's talked about the fact that he 
watched just so much film as an NBA player. And one of the biggest things was finding out opposition tendencies. So it's like he would watch t- tape and he would see somebody. It's like, oh, he dribbles twice and then he turns over his right shoulder when he's in that position. He did it then and he did it again. I'm going to go back to other... He did it again. And after a certain amount of time, it's like, well, maybe that's a tendency. So if I... If he bounces... If he's in that position and he dribbles twice, then I jump to his right shoulder so he can't turn and I make him do something else. What's that going to do? Have you found that there are equivalencies in hockey that you can actually really take advantage of if you know someone's tendencies? Yeah, that's one of the um, the main focuses that we have as a as a playing group and team is to know what our um, opposition strengths and weaknesses are and and what those tendencies are specifically, so that when we go to play them, we've already done our homework and that we are prepared in the best possible way. And it's it's almost like cheating before an exam. <laughs> and and really, if you have have done and invested that amount of um i guess research and effort Mm. you really minimize the amount of um, variables uh, external variables and what we'll often do as a as a group is that we'll um, break into i guess different subsets and then we'll go away and uh, watch different games or from different tournaments and maybe over a space of several months as long as it's still relevant or different quarters and then um, we'll come back together and and really discuss our findings and and if we um, manage to see patterns that that several of the groups have brought up then we'll know that those are um, most likely to be mo- the tendencies of the opposition yeah i love that and then also i mean and Michael, people might be like, Michael, this is a bit of a stretch, but <laughs> it reminds me of the fact that on Facebook now there is a tab at the bottom of every business page that says ads and uh, media or something like that. And if you click on that, you can see every ad that your competitor is running. And I just think basically you guys are, are researching what your competitors do, right? And what their strengths and weaknesses are. And the same thing can happen in marketing where you can like, I'm one of those nerds that sees ads on Facebook and immediately like screenshots them and puts them into a folder and goes like analyzes which ones I like, which ones I don't like and things like that. So there's always ways to take these learnings from sport and apply them, apply them to other areas in life, right? Um, and no matter what it is, I think that that the other major benefit to analyzing your competitive stuff through whatever data that you can, whether it's film or whether it's ads or whether it's whatever it is, is the fact that it's more energy efficient than just practicing and practicing and practicing. And we talked about that a little bit last time as well, where I was like, so what? So don't isn't there like a lack uh, a lack of diminishing re- uh, <laughs> a tendency of diminishing returns when you do like a hundred repetitions of the same skill again and again and again. And you said, well, we don't do that. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. And we often um, use the analogy of train smarter, not necessarily harder. And although that is a cliche, it is something that is very true. And as I've um, become a lot older, I've noticed uh, a shift in my mindset and also my training approach because when I was younger, I just used to think to myself, I would practice for hours and hours and and I didn't really take note of the efficiency of of what I was doing Um, and so I would go to training 12 13 times a week 
but the the quality of the training wasn't um, always the greatest and so uh, a training session that I just came from I, I had an individual session with my coach and one of my other teammates and the intensity wasn't high at all but he wanted the quality of the skill um, to be well executed and we would do in, in sets of um, maybe five or six repetitions, take a break in between and then reset, compose ourselves and then make sure that the next um, set were of a, of a high quality as well. And, and what that does is it allows us to value, um, particularly when we have the ball and, and what um, data has found is that we will only have the ball during a 60-minute game for around one and a half to two minutes. That's the amount of time that an individual will will touch the ball. Mm. And so you need to be able to execute during those times and, and really um, make sure that when you do have the opportunity that you're utilising it. Because mm, that is fascinating, isn't it? The time with ball is still so incredibly small, but... That, which highlights how important it is everything that you do off the ball, right? Because you, the time with your ball is so uh, limited. I think there was one story that came from Simon Black in the grand final had like 41 disposals one year. And yeah, I think he had no more, no more than about a minute 30 or a minute 45 where he was actually handling the ball, which is crazy when you think about how many times you have it. That makes me think about two questions. One is the role that analytics has played in, in transforming sports like baseball and basketball where really like organizations think completely differently about how the, the way that they set up a team based on analytics has that come to hockey as much is there is there an analytic that has a, a kind of points out certain inefficiencies in in a team's game plan or style although we do use live tracking during the game uh I guess to analyse our goal scoring opportunities as well as our um, percentage of turnovers. Um, often a lot of the, the game focus will be done um, afterwards um, and really work on what the opposition's tendencies are. But the Hockey Roos used to really have a focus on trying to win um, penalty corners and then because we had a really high calibre of um, drag flickers in the team. Okay. Whereas now we've sort of tried to shift away from relying on penalty corners and focus on converting um, field goals. Mm -hmm. And what that does is also allow us, we still have some really great drag, drag flickers in the team, mm -hmm. but what it's really allowed us to do is make sure that we aren't solely dependent on penalty corners, and especially as there's a shift in, in the game and, and its evolution, if penalty corners um, are eradicated, um, we, we then won't have to, um, I guess, be backtracking and, and trying to suddenly develop a skill. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's really interesting because the games uh, that we've seen, um, you know, by and large on the world stage have been evolving over time. And often it is the, the, the evolution is directly related to the kind of talent that you've got. So there was a big kind of inside in the post game in the NBA for a long time. But then Steph Curry comes along and shoots a record number of three pointers in, in a season. And then everyone's going, hang on a second, maybe we should be shooting more three pointers. And so I guess you're saying is that the hockey crews had this wicked talent where it's like, well, actually, if we get penalty corners, we score more goals, we win the game. So they focused on that analytic. Is there one, now they're trying to kind of balance themselves a little bit more rather than 
put all their eggs into one basket. Is there still one stat though that's, that goes, if we keep this really high, we know we've got a much better chance of winning the game? Obviously, <laughs> the amount of goals scored yeah. <laughs> needs to be higher than the amount of um, goals, goals conceded. conceded. Yeah. But we, we do value our goal scoring opportunities because for us that means we've not only been able to outlet successfully, mm-hmm. um, but we've also been able to go into our attacking 25 and also have a goal entry so whether it's a goal entry or also a a goal scoring opportunity and that's that's a positive for us and then um, we're in the phase where we're just trying to increase the percentage of the amount of opportunities which are then converted into goals it's really about getting to the right spots on the floor that where it's like we know we're a threat here yes yeah that's so interesting as well as right because you're not going to score from the back half and it's and I guess that that's something that people can take away in their lives as well is that so so often to really achieve success, you've got to work to get into the right spot to find that opportunity. It's like if you're sitting in, in your house or your place and you're going, why can't I score from here? Well, that's because you're never in the right spot on the floor to be able to score in the first place. So you've got to do that work to be able to get to there. And then so often often that's probably being caused by something that you're doing back up the floor, right? As you said, because it's like it's because you've been able to successfully outlet the ball. It's because you've been able to you've worked it through the midfield well. And then you're in the spot with the opportunity to score. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) It's like dating, right? Right, All of my friends complain (laughs) that they can't find a boyfriend, a high quality one of that. That matter, and then we don't go out or do anything, and you know how how are you ever gonna have the opportunity to meet someone if you if you don't ever go out? That is an that's my sort analogy. of analogy. It's the same with hockey. You can't <laughs> score unless you go out, says the hermit. <laughs> wow, I love <laughs> I love that. Um, this is so funny. Okay, cool, cool, cool. very very nice. Uh, all right, so I have another question for you. Yes. Um, do you prefer to cerebrally think your way through a game or are you at your best when you're kind of just reacting instinctually and are kind of blank mentally and more just switched on sensually? I like to have a thorough warm-up, which provides Mm -hmm. confidence, showing that I I am alert and I'm ready. Mm -hmm. But definitely as a midfielder, um, I need to be quite relaxed and composed um, and a lot of the, I guess, the roles that I play is, is based around distributing the ball. So that will will depend on where the, um, where the opposition is standing or also how they um, decide that they're going to press us and, and try and defend. So I don't like to go in there um, with a preconceived idea mm. of what I'm going to do mm-hmm. um, just in case I, I do have to react. So... For me, I, I just like to play freely and that's when I've noticed that I play my best hockey is that when I'm able to to really utilise the amount of time that I have on the ball, pass it around, get some confidence and then um, and just relax into the game. Mm. Because would you say that you're somebody who, who really benefits on, on the skills that you've cultivated and the work that you've done in training as opposed to somebody with just genuine, massive athletic ability? As a midfielder, you have to be... Uh, physically fit Hmm. um, as well as quite agile and also um, quick but 
for me it really comes down to the amount of repetitions that I've done and and I pride myself so my, I pride myself upon having very good basics and I'm definitely not the most skillful um, player but just knowing that I, I'm able to execute um, the few times that I have the ball really for mm-hmm. me is the most important thing yeah cool it's just super interesting to me watching seeing the way that there are people that play it's like some people really do their best when they're playing loose and free and not really thinking about it and simply reading and reacting um but then you've got people like uh, say a tom brady who's the quarterback for the new england patriots and he is like a supercomputer when he steps up to the line of scrimmage and takes that ball back or even when he's looking at the the defense he goes that player's there that player's there that player's there that means that they're going to run this defense which means that that's going to be a vulnerability i'm going to call this guy over here and then we're going to run a play for that and he just kind of cerebrally thinks his way through the game lebron james is another one that's like he calls out the sets of the opposition's offense before they even get down the field just by like watching where they go to on the court it's like they're about to run this and it's just that like going do and and then there are the sorry there's the third which is just like they're freak athletes right and they use their ability like maybe Usain Bolt when he's playing soccer, right? He's mm. just faster and uh, more athletic than everybody else so that he would be able to get a long through ball and beat his player to it because he's the fastest man alive. <laughs> yeah, I just find it really interesting seeing those different styles. Do you think that there are those different styles even on your team as well? Definitely. A lot of our strikers um, mm-hmm. have a, a really great physical um, capability and so they're often um, sort of sp- I guess attack forward um, randomly <laughs> per se but um, for for a midfielder or definitely a, a defender we have to be able to to read the play um, particularly otherwise we can't create the opportunity for our strikers to to even attack um, so a lot of what we do is yes based upon just being able to um, understand and uh, sort of preempt what's going to happen and the way that we then can achieve that freely is by replicating it in a training environment so that we're able to see it live and and really uh, simulate what that international competition and environment is going to be like in our own daily training well that's awesome and like if you take the example of watching tape and then taking it to training so that you actually go uh and such and such is going to play the role of x in this and is going to do exactly what she did in that play and then like if you can actually legitimately role play that out so that it actually really feels like you're oh yeah this is exactly how the netherlands line up when they play us uh that must be incredible that's really really cool as as an ability to do something in a set in a safe kind of practice environment to prepare you and and then again i think if you can properly replicate the variables that are in play and you can do that that's awesome as well i really like that um hey how do you go about preparation because i know that you're a big preparer and i know that you're a big organizer um so when you go away like you did when you played in the netherlands etc um how important is structure and what what are the kind of things that you put in place when you're doing that i am a very organized <laughs> athlete now this is something that i've had to learn is that some players in the team actually respond better to to being um, quite unorganized right um, <laughs> whereas i know definitely like to 
um, have everything set out. For example, my my uniform, my clothes, everything would be set out prior, the the food that I'm going to eat before and also after the game, um, before I start even training. I'll have all of my equipment lined up, drink bottle filled. And for me, that not only acts as a cue uh, to remind myself that I'm about to, I guess, engage myself, but also it just... Um, is a routine and and provides confidence to me knowing that I don't have to worry about anything (laughs) yeah um, that I can control yeah well you've talked to cues you've talked to me about cues a a few times another section that you of your life that you have a lot of cues around is is sleep and bedtime um so you've got a bedtime routine (laughs) and that really really helps uh I didn't mean that to sound so infantile um but it, it, it really helps you kind of, again, prepare. Um, what are some of the things that you do around bedtime to, to kind of signal to your brain, okay, time to, time to shut down and relax? So what uh, science has really shown the past several years particularly is the benefit that sleep um, plays. And, and for us, especially when we're on tour, it is something that we value so highly and... Um, and what our sports psychologist has tried to work on with me is, is trying to create a, a safe environment where I have, a, I guess, a set sleep routine. And um, it is still a work in progress, but definitely uh, trying to, I guess, prepare yourself that you are about to relax and it's time to settle down. So what everyone can find on if you have a, an iPhone is that there'll be a setting that you can... Um, activate the mm-hmm. blue light night mode. yeah the night mode so that it goes more kind of yellowy orange yeah yep. and and what that does is it actually um allows for the body to secrete melatonin in uh a natural uh, in a natural way versus um the light that's normally emitted from an iphone um, is detrimental to the melatonin secretion and so that can um, affect when you start to fi- find yourself feeling tired um and what time do you flick that on usually around about i have it so you can set it to go off automatically so i I set mine to go off at 6 p.m every night nice um and then i'll try and switch my phone off at least half an hour to 45 minutes before Mm -hmm. so i put it on flight mode and um and what our sports psychologist says is that the the bedroom is for only two things it's for sex and for sleep um so I'll try and read uh, sometimes in, in bed or if not, um, I'll read outside in, in the living room or in a quiet space in the house. But um, I have an air diffuser as well, which I, um, I put a few essential oils in. And, and I'm really, all I'm trying to do is just trying to um, create a, a really warm and, and nice environment where I feel relaxed and if I find that I can't switch off and go to sleep after 20 minutes, our sports psych says to hop up, get out of bed and do something else which is going to not um, stimulate the mind but is going to allow you um, a chance to wind down. So it may be reading a really boring book. It won't be <laughs> watching a movie or right. um, Again, doing crosswords or anything sure. like that that's going to um, engage uh, mental activity. But... For us, it's it's just trying to really, really relax before um, before we go to bed. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the The only thing that I wanted to ask then about this, because I think you've really answered the question well, is um, if you have a break in routine, 
I, I heard a, a footballer once say, I think it was Mark Lecrae, I'm not sure, uh, but he does not uh, do routines because he always got superstitious about like, well, what if I'm not able to create, like, what if I'm not able to follow through on my routine? Maybe that will throw me off. So has that, have you run up against that where you've, something's fallen through and your normal routine, you're not able to do it and then you feel terrible in a game or are you able to overcome that as well? So I used to have all these superstitions <laughs> and all these ridiculous superstitions when I was younger and, and a lot of my friends had them as well and it was sort of who had the, the best superstition. <laughs> but um, again, that was a piece of advice that we have from, from a sports psychologist was to not have routines that um, we are unable to control. Mm-hmm. So all of my routines that I do have, I'm able to control. I'm able to always have my uniform out ready mm-hmm. the night before. I'm able to always do a little bit of meal prep or have snacks portable snacks ready um, my equipment's always going to be ready um, when we travel we'll always put a spare stick in another player's bag in case um, luggage goes missing or mm-hmm. our playing uniform will always go in our hand luggage in case um, our, our bags do go astray but um, with a night routine it's more brushing your teeth washing my face those are all things that I'm going to be able to do, whether I'm in Perth or whether I'm over and competing against um, an international competitor in Argentina. Mm. Well, I love that because, I mean, two things there is that one, only the things that you can control, which is great. And then two is that you're setting up contingencies, right? So if something does go wrong, it's all right. We do, we do it this way so that there's no single point of failure, I guess, in a system, which makes sense. Um, I, I, I want to change tack a little bit now to talk kind of much, much earlier in your journey when you sort of first started at WACE. Um, that, that experience had its ups and downs, but initially it was probably pretty hard because there was a bit of a, a culture thing going on there at the time. Can you tell me a little bit about how hard it can be to find balance when your teammates are also your competitors and the coach that came in there and what he did to kind of improve that culture? So I was quite, I was quite young in comparison to the other girls that were in the um, in the program at the time, and and for me I was slightly unsure about um, whether I was good enough, and definitely mm-hmm. um, I find that when you're the fresh meat, <laughs> um, that you can unfortunately get a, a lot of criticism because people do feel like their own. Uh, position is in jeopardy and for me that's something that I've I've really um, focused on as I've um, progressed into the national team is that I always want to encourage my teammates to become the mm. best athletes they're able to become and and if I do find myself criticizing them um, it's a it's a moment for me to reflect and take a step back and and know that I'm doubtful or fearful of some aspect of my game because I should have enough faith and trust in my own ability that I never have to put another player down in an attempt to make myself feel better. And our waste coach, he entered the program when I was uh, nearly 17. So I I was under his um, coaching for around four or five years. Mm -hmm. Um, And he really 
he really tried to shift the the culture and and what happened because of that was that it saw a lot of the girls who weren't on board what he was trying to work towards leave the program and and that was a personal decision but also it, it was one that was necessary for the group because we are in a an environment where we compete and train against each other and we want to be able to cultivate friendship um, but we also need to be willing to drive each other to become the best athletes possible because otherwise we're not going to be competitive as a nation mm. yeah because you've got to be in a position right where at least at the very least the the comfortable starters in the in the program whichever program it is need to be able to lift the newcomers up and say like come on like improve keep getting better of course and that can be difficult for the for the newcomer but um what's what i found is so important is that the the tone that it's um, that the message is given to the newcomer and also that the senior players really need to um, demonstrate by example and mm. and it needs to be in action it, it can't just be a message it needs to be an observation from the younger athlete that this is why i need to act this way because i want to become like this senior player and i want to i aspire to be like her and and this is how my skill is going to improve mm. yeah yeah it's interesting because um, I guess as well, uh, it's that it's that thing of you are, comp- and I, I guess that happens in every sport, so to speak, because you're always kind of competing for spots or competing for your career in some ways. But it it always kind of shows through in the end result as well, whether you've got people who are playing for themselves or playing for the team. Yes, and in a national environment, um, especially when you train with each other on a daily basis. Um, those flaws or, or those cracks and and the purpose of the individual um, if they don't align with the team unfortunately um, there's not a position in the long in the long term mm. um, because we need to be able to unite particularly as a group um, because that's what when we play a team sport unlike a lot of individuals who do individual sports but they they train as a team it's not as important but for us it is it's one of the most valuable things hey, i've got a couple more questions that i want to ask you before we jump into the quick fire questions and and wrap this up <laughs> it's been so much fun already you've thrown a couple of pearlers at me um but let's let's do these last two and then and jump in the first one is have there been significant levels to your career so far in terms of learning curves plateaus and breakthroughs um, is there like a, a pattern in your experience to the the timing of plateaus and breakthroughs? And has there been anything or anyone that's really played a big part in those breakthroughs? I found that um, I went through a period of time when I was probably 17 or 18 and, and results weren't going my way. And, and I found that I, I did plateau and, and I put a lot of, um, I guess, self-doubt about my playing ability and and I also received a lot of um, criticism, which which probably didn't help, um, and it fueled um, my own my own doubt about myself. But it it probably came down to an inability to recognise that I didn't have the balance right. And for me, I'm quite a, a driven person, and I not only want to achieve success in a sporting um, aspect, but also definitely for an education. And for hockey, we are we train like professional athletes, but we aren't paid like professional athletes. Mm. And for me, it's so important that I've always been able to 
secure myself and mm. and have something to fall back on after and, and minimize the transition following sport but often I I got the balance wrong and was either working too much or studying too much and and I wanted it all but I realized that I couldn't have it all right. um, and so it's important to make sacrifices yes and we don't call them sacrifices we call them choices and and the choice yep. was that to prioritize prioritize and and my playing career if it goes to plan which it hasn't so far is that (laughs) hopefully I'll retire when I'm you know I'd love to retire when I'm 30 32 and then I can go and finish off um, my studies or my career Um, but when I was younger I thought that probably the career was um, was more important than than my hockey and and as I found um, myself falling behind I, I realized that I needed to prioritize well that's that that's almost that opt-out thing of what i was talking about before right you get scared or you 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 see it and you go oh like that's so hard to get to that pinnacle of the sport that it's like you know what maybe i should just go plan b and and it happens to a lot of players unfortunately and i really think that if hockey players were um paid better it, it would have um, definitely helped a lot of talented athletes stay in the game. So was that a conversation with a coach or something that just allowed that buyback in to go, no, I'm going to prioritise and, and make this a bigger part of my life again? I was always, um, it was always the number one yep. priority in terms of training wise, but mm-hmm. um, I just didn't realise that I was burning um, myself out mm. and I was you know, agitated, I was moody, I was always tired and so now that I'm not currently studying or working, it's the first time in four and a half years that that's happened. I've been able to just enjoy the thought of going to training, come mm. home, relax, prepare again for training in the afternoon. But this is what the life of a professional athlete should be like. Um, so I, w- I would never want to sacrifice my playing ability for the financial pursuit outside mm. of sport. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that financial thing. Because in Australia, hockey is... In, in such a competitive sporting landscape, right? And that obviously impacts funding and the amount of money that it can earn uh, and players can earn. I was interested in, like, from an equipment standpoint um, and particularly with preparation and things like that, what equipment do you think personally has had the biggest impact in improving your ability to perform at the best of your ability as an athlete? Like, outside of the absolute basics, like the equipment that you need to play a game, if you could have one more thing, be it ice baths the film room uh gps tracker anything else like that what do you think makes in terms of that sports science stuff has made the biggest impact on you personally definitely in an international environment the filming yeah and um the quality of film is is very important we have several different angles that we can Mm -hmm. view from so unlike a lot of spectators at home who may be watching it only on fox sports for example we have we don't use um that footage as much right. because we want more of an aerial view so mm-hmm. we often will have um a gopro set up at training on the back of a goal or we'll have a drone come down and that will film the top of um from tr- of training from an aerial perspective but just being able to to analyze positioning so film yeah, that's super interesting for me and, and the great thing about hockey is that you really need to stick in a ball 
yep. you can <laughs> go out and, and practice on the grass or as I used to do in, in the lounge room, um, you, you know, carpet is a very close replicate to uh, field hockey turf. <laughs> um, but you don't need a lot of equipment. Um, so definitely for me, just a want or a desire is, is more important than any I guess one piece of equipment that I could say necessary. Yeah, but that is interesting that the film room is the thing that you do. It's like analyzing your performance. What can you do to get something that allows you to objectively look at from a third party view? This is what I did, whatever field you're in, and how can I analyze my performance to do better next time? That's really interesting. Okay. I'm breaking all sorts of rules and I'm continuing on with the questions, but can we talk a little bit about the role meditation plays in your life and where you were at before you started meditating and the kind of change that it's it's made in your approach to sport and life in general? So anybody who knows me um, <laughs> describes, oh, would probably describe <laughs> me as quite intense is the word that's probably the most frequently used, but I am a go-getter. I don't like to um, sit still I used to not be able to sit through a movie and when I first started meditating I honestly could do it for four or five minutes and then I would just sort of finish or give up and and really um, it's been a a tool that I've had to persistent persist with and and really make sure that I um, dedicated adequate time again on a daily um, basis too but how it all came about was that I, I started noticing that I was experiencing a, a lot of performance anxiety and, and mm-hmm. again this came down to um, a phase when I was sort of plateauing and, and what I found was that I, I wanted to achieve success so badly but it wasn't coming mm. and I was so focused on just playing for Australia and um, becoming a hockey roo that I, I really stopped focusing on the process and also enjoying it and, and what I found was that not only my performance suffered but also my mental well-being and and I remember that I was in a on a, um, a national junior camp down in Tasmania and I couldn't sleep and I couldn't eat and and I remember calling my boyfriend at the time up and I was just a complete mess about selections and and really, I came home, I made an appointment with my sports psych and I said, I don't play sport to feel this way. Mm. And he suggested that I start meditating and sort of looked at him and, and thought, <laughs> have you got anything else? Um, <laughs> and fortunately for me, it's it's been extremely um, pivotal in, in my success as an athlete, but also allowing me to, to recognise that, as I said before, I am worth more than a hockey player and mm. that everything is going to be okay um, and that I can still take worth and value once I step off the field and if I do have a, a poor performance. But my family's been extremely supportive of it and, and there's a number of um, tools that you can use to to really start exploring your own meditation meditative journey and um, one of those is an app called insight timer and it um, has a lot of guided meditations that you can do so there are a number of different um, types of meditations for me what I do is I just sit in my room um, with my back against the wall and I have a blanket over my knees and I just focus on my breathing and um, or I might say a series of affirmations and eventually what happens is that you're almost transcended into this sleep-like state but you're still perfectly in control Um, and for me that was a substitute from having to nap for several hours a day and and it Mm. really provides a quick recharge 
um, both mentally and physically. Yeah, that's really cool. And you you said to me last time that we were talking, um, it, oftentimes for you it's like a, a case of breathing in for four, holding for four, and then breathing out for four, and just calmly redirecting your thoughts to the breath when you go away from it. Exactly, and, and what a lot of people will find that as you um, first try and experiment with meditation, you'll think, oh, that's so easy to just not try and think about anything. <laughs> but there is a huge difference between trying to fall asleep, for example, and being mm. able to consciously minimize those thoughts and um, mm. the more you practice and the more frequently you do it the the less thoughts that you have and, and it's a really beautiful experience to just be able to sit there and be able to breathe without f- thinking about all of the uni assignments you may have coming up or all of the um, errands or chores you have to do and and I think it's so important for for young people particularly who are struggling with mental health Mm -hmm. to practice well it kind of undermines the stress by surrounding it with silence right and the narrative as well because that you can so get caught up in the things that we say to ourselves the stories that we tell ourselves about who we are and who we aren't and what we can achieve and what we can't Um, but meditation allows you to enter that zone where there's no mind kind of thing it, you, you switch off from that and you quiet that down and you yeah i think that's the best way that i've heard it talked about is it, you you undermine it by surrounding it with silence mm-hmm. hmm. um the other thing that you mentioned to me last time is that in west leaderville there is a mindfulness meditation hub done uh by donation so they have three to five classes a day by volunteers and it, so it's a great way of getting started with it and you don't feel exploited trying to deal with your mental health because it's just by donation only yeah and it's a it's a really great environment it's um quite new it, it was originally in Netherlands, but um a lot of people were interested and it became more popular so they needed to um, increase the the space and the facilities there are great it's for me it's a safe environment and a lot of my friends have started um to attend classes frequently there's different types as well so if you attend one class and you find that it's not really um, your style then you can just go to another one they also offer several courses there I'm doing one at the moment which is involve um, which involves addressing emotions and relationships and for me the the most important thing is that these people do it on a volunteer um, I guess basis and also that they really want um as many people as possible to to experiment um, the value that's derived from meditation. That's awesome. Okay, we're gonna we are gonna jump into a very quick fire, quick fire <laughs> okay. round of questions now, and and uh, close up shop on this one. You have been an inspiration. I thank you so much for being here thank and, you. and investing the time in, in chatting to me and my audience and and giving people some really valuable insights. I think that this has been huge, and I think that you're great. Um, here we go. If you could. Uh, only do three exercises uh, for the rest of the year in terms of training. Uh, what would you prioritize? Oh, it's quick fire. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> trampolining, um, uh, rock climbing, and rollerblading. Oh wow. Okay, I like those answers. <laughs> is there a, is there a fun particular reason why any one of those in particular it doesn't have to be all three? Uh, because I haven't been able to do any of them with my <laughs> knee this year. Okay. <laughs> I like that. Do you do bouldering? No. No? No. There is a place called Adrenaline Vault in Belmont uh, here in Perth, which is a bouldering place that is loads and loads of fun. Shout out to them. Uh, Okay. If you you could... 
if you have, is there a purchase that you've made in the last 12 months for under $100 that you can say is that has um, positively impacted your life the most out of anything that you've bought? Oh, a mandolin. A mandolin. Okay, so for people who don't cook, a mandolin is um, sort of uh, cooking. I thought it was a musical instrument. No, 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 a mandolin. And you s- uh, it's a, like a cooking piece of equipment and you just sort of slice things very finely. Just makes uh-huh. beetroot, zucchini. Oh, it's great. Everyone should get a mandolin. What is, was there a particular brand that you bought or a particular? Oh, no, I just got one off Gumtree. Nice. Yeah. Gumtree. Love it. <laughs> I love Gumtree. I've been uh, selling a lot of stuff on there lately. All right. Uh, is there a brand that you would consider yourself illogically loyal to? Oh, Lululemon. Yeah? I am a huge Lulu fan. Yes. I As soon as I put it on, I just think that I become a yogi straight away. <laughs> As I've attended one yoga class this year. But it was in my Lulu gear and oh, I felt amazing. Yeah, he just felt zen. And no, but... Is there anything like? Is there anything particularly about the first time that Lulu got into your head and heart and you were just like, ah, oh, I'm converted? I, I like how they do a lot of um, charity work and also mm-hmm. um, they are support a lot of events. Mm-hmm. So there's uh, the Perth Run Collective as well, which is a, a free running club which people can join join up to um and they and they run weekly but oh i just love love how it feels no it's yeah really high quality i love that if you uh if we should follow two or three people on social media who should we follow uh sarah sigmunds okay the the crossfitter um who else do i love oh serena williams i i love serena and everything about her. Um, and who else do I find very funny? Oh, myself. <laughs> no, I think any of the Hockey Roos girls provide inspiration. Nice. Okay, so, and obviously the easiest way to find all of the Hockey Roos girls is under suggested follows once they've followed you. So what is your Instagram handle? It is Georgia Wilson 1996 Nice, on Instagram. So That's give the year her... I was born. Yeah. <laughs> In case you didn't put two and two together. Nineties baby, the best. Uh, and uh, to wrap it up, uh, if you could put a message on a billboard anywhere in the world, uh, what would it say and why? That you need to to remain hopeful. I think that's so important, especially um, for young athletes and young, and young people um, who are struggling particularly is that it's it's often to I guess fall victim into thinking that everything in everyone's life is sunshine and rainbows especially with social media but it's it's okay to struggle and and really you need to have hope that things will get better um, because they do said like a truly inspired Lululemon yogi. Oh, and hockey player. And hockey <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, George. You've been amazing today. Really, really appreciate you coming in. Really, really appreciate everything that you've said today and the wisdom that you have espoused. Love it, love it, love it. Um, if people want to keep on following your story, aside from Instagram, is there any way that we can stay uh, in the loop with what's going on with you? Uh, hockey Australia often post a lot of um, information about our upcoming games and, and what the Hockey Roos are doing, but um, Instagram is my, my main social platform. Awesome. And Fox Sports as well. Um, yeah, next year for the Pro League, which starts um, from February through to the end of June, you can watch all of the Hockey Roos games online. 
um, as well as on, on Fox Sports. Amazing. Get on it. Um, okay, well, look, I am Mike Drysdale. I'm your host. This has been The Network. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, I hope to see you again. Give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Make sure you subscribe. And then also check out another local podcast, Start Up West, run by Charlie Gunningham and the good news, good people over at startupnews.com.au. Really amazing site uh, covering a lot of small business here in Perth, Western Australia. I love you guys uh, and thank you so much for being here and I'll talk to you soon.